I want to start in the book of Joel chapter 1. So if you take a minute and find that. I'm also going to be referring to 2 Kings chapter 4 this morning. Um, and so these the, these are where we're going to go. But we're going to begin in Joel. And then we're going to read a passage in Jeremiah. Um, and then in John. So if you just want to follow with me in Jeremiah, I'll just read those to you. But our focus will be in Joel and in 2 Kings 4. And God help us to get through all of this today. But in Joel chapter 1, I want to begin in verse 18. And it says, How do the beast groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yes, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. The perplexity that comes into the animals in in this particular season that God is speaking of is due to the fact that there's trouble in the earth. There's famine in the earth. There's pestilence in the earth. There's there's no ability for them to feed. And so it's just describing how even the animals are just fainting, um, not so much physically from the lack of nourishment, but it's a perplexity. There's a stress on them. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter eight that the world, the creation is even groaning for its deliverance. And I believe that we're living in the last days and Jesus is soon to come and the earth is groaning and there's a perplexity that is in the world. Last week we talked about Jesus saying that there are going to be events that happen in the heavens and the earth that are so staggering that men's hearts will fail them for fear. I don't understand what this really means, but Jesus even said that something is going to take place that affects the sun and the moon and the stars And it is going to be so dramatic that men's hearts are going to fail. It is going to be a terrifying thing. And so I don't understand what all of that means. But I just do know that now I believe heart failure is one of the leading causes of death in our world today. And so the prophecy of Jesus is definitely true. And so verse 19 says, O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beast of the field cry also unto you, for the rivers of water are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness." Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord comes, for it is near at hand. A day of darkness and of gloom, gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. And so Joel is speaking here of a very serious event that is going to come into the earth. And it's going to be so severe that it's not only fire and devastation that burns up the crops and the ability for animals to eat that causes them to cry out to God. But it is also going to be so severe in this context of war and the context of soldiers and armies. I believe Joel is referring to the battle of Armageddon. I believe he's referring to the end of the world where Jesus will come back. To rescue Israel from its annihilation when he returns to the earth the second time and establishes his kingdom. But my point is this, that there is a prophesied time of perplexity. 
And, and the Bible makes no mistake about this. You find this throughout the Bible. A prophesied time of perplexity. The word perplexity means this. Not knowing what to do, there seems to be no way out. And the solution to this time of perplexity, which I believe we're living in some of that. I believe that it is progressing and I believe we're entering into more and more of that. At times of perplexity, there's no doubt that we are. The whole world is in fear and confused and people don't trust one another and people don't trust governments and people don't trust. And so there's perplexity right now. People are uncertain what to do. And the answer is in verse 19, unto thee, O Lord, will I cry. I want to pray. I want to come before you and pray and I want to talk to you and I want to hear you. And so there's a passage in Jeremiah 33, and it says this in verse 3, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you don't know. And so here's the invitation from Jesus to call to me, and I want to speak to you, I want to answer you, I want to give you things. In John 15, Jesus reiterates this. And he tells us in John 15, verse 14, he says this. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the father in my name, he may give it to you. So understand this. This is what the scriptures are telling us. In times of perplexity, which we're definitely in and will only increase. I don't think the world will ever go back to normal. I don't think governments will ever be sane again. I believe the Antichrist system is at work and it will continue to be at work. And it will continue to progress because God's allowing it. He's ready to bring in the kingdom of Jesus. But we are the church of Jesus Christ in the earth. And of all the people and of all the situations, we need to know what's going on we need to be able to understand the mind of the Lord and the will of God in this hour and the Bible says that in perplexity cry to God talk to God God said to Jeremiah call unto me I'll answer you I'll tell you things you don't know and then beautifully Jesus says to us you're my friends and because you're my friends everything that I'm hearing from my father I want to share that with you I want you to know it Now, the way you're going to know that is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been sent by the Lord to come to the church so that he will tell us what he hears and he will show us what he sees. Y'all, there needs to be a desperation for a life in the Holy Ghost, a life in the Spirit, a walk with God by the counsel of the Holy Spirit himself. Because there's no answer in this world to the fear and the depression and the stress that men are under. These things that we're dealing with today, governments are not going to let them go away. 
Governments are going to continue to try to control the masses of people. So it is the church of Jesus Christ that has to be able to come into this chaotic society where men's hearts are troubled and men are stricken with fear. And the church has to know the mind of God. The church has to know the will of God. And that comes through prayer. And it comes through communing with God and walking with God. And oh to God that there would be a revival of prayer in the church of God. I believe that it is the praying man who will come through this. I believe that we need to hear the deep call of God to the deep of our spirit. You know I'm reminded in Exodus where Moses saw the burning bush. And he he draws to that burning bush. And the Bible says specifically, and when God saw that he saw, then God engaged him in a relationship. I wonder how many times Moses didn't see a burning bush. I wonder how many times he was too occupied with his business, too occupied with his duties, that there was a burning bush there, but he never saw it. But on this day, he saw it. And he took the time to draw near into the presence of God. And God engaged him in a relationship. I wonder how many burning bushes God has provided for us that maybe we didn't see. And beloved, I just say to you as the church of Jesus Christ, let there be a revival of prayer in your life. I'm not talking about saying prayers. I'm talking about relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Where the deep of God is calling to the deep of you. And your heart's responding to God. Your face, oh God, will I seek. And if we will be that people, God will speak to us. He will tell us what he's doing. He will show us what to do. And there is no greater thing that could ever happen in this world today than somebody would come forth and say, I've heard God. And I know what God wants. There will be no prayer without faith. And there will be no faith without prayer. These are cruel days and it is the praying man who will endure it. Ian Bounds said this. He said, words are not prayer because we utter them on our knees. Nor because we say them in the pulpit. Nor yet because they are breathed within the confines of a church. We can use words without praying and we can pray without using words. We can also pray when words are used, but there is a language of the spirit that is beyond words, groanings that cannot be articulated, that defy language, that are above language, that are beyond language, that are the yearning of the heart of God committed to those who seek to know his will and to care for a lost world and a feeble church. And I believe that is the language of the Holy Spirit. I thank God for the gift of tongues. I thank God for the ability to pray in the Holy Ghost. Whether that is in tongues, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the energy of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us to pray in the Spirit. To worship in the Spirit. To praise in the Spirit. Oftentimes we pray in the natural. Oftentimes we pray presumptuously. We pray as as an attitude of trying to twist the arm of God to do something. But if we would know what God wants to do, then there would be no twisting God's arm to do something. But we would know for sure that it's going to be done for the Lord has said. And this is the way men and women of the past walked with God. When Elijah went out and faced 850 witches, everything he did, every comment he made, every mockery he made towards their gods. He did everything according to the word of the Lord. 
Everything he did was because he heard God. And so we have to hear God and we have to know that we've heard God. Natural praying is praying in our own hope. It is praying as long as we see a solution that we can keep before God. Lord, there's still something you can do. And if you did this, God, the problem would be solved. And that's natural praying. But spiritual praying is praying when all hope is gone that God is still able to do something. It's Mary rolling the stone back after her brother's been in there for four days. Because God said so. And she has no idea how he's going to do it. That's spiritual action. That is believe in God and trust in the Lord. It is this ability to pray the impossible into the possibilities of life. Pulling fire out of heaven, rain from the sky, the dead from the grave and moving mountains into the seas. It is the Holy Ghost moving in you. That is this type of praying that we need so desperately today. Leonard Ravenhill said, men of faith see. They see the unseeable. Men of faith know a dimension that is unknown to those who only pray routine prayers. When faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. It is also true that when faith ceases to live, it ceases to pray. You really can't separate a prayer life from a faith life because both of them are essential in pleasing God. So we must have faith in order to pray and we must pray in order to have faith. And you know that you have faith when you're praying and you believe God for these things that God is doing in the earth. And so when I think about times of perplexity, I think about the desperation that the church must have to really be able to know the will of God in this hour and the ability to hear the Lord. There's been many false prophecies, many false declarations in the name of God that have gone forth in the last couple of years that have proved to fail, proved to fail. We must be very careful because even in all of that, it disturbs the church of Jesus Christ. It disturbs it. As a pastor now, 35 years, this, this month in September, this church has been going on. I've, it, it has not been rare for me to encounter people who really believe for God to do something and it didn't go the way that they wanted and instead of them reckoning upon the fact that I must not have heard God, the fault was somehow God's for not doing what they wanted God to do. And that's presumption, it's not faith. And so we must pray prayers of faith and prayers in the Holy Ghost where we go before God knowing what the will of God is in heaven and declaring it to be done on earth. And the prayer meeting is so important because he says, if two or more you agree is touching anything, it shall be done. And there's no failure of God to answer those who gather together as a congregation to pray and to see the miracles and the power of God. There is nothing natural about faith at all. Faith is a supernatural thing. As a matter of fact, it is a gift that is given to us. Last Sunday at 9, we talked about faith and what it is. And the Bible says, now faith is. And faith is the substance of what we hope for and the evidence of what we do not see. And I just brought it to you in the possibilities of this. That perhaps faith is a spiritual organ of knowledge. Perhaps faith is a spiritual organ of seeing. A spiritual organ of hearing. Perhaps it is that. I believe that it is. I do not validate light by my ears, 
I have been given the gift of sight to see light. I can't feel it. I can't touch it. But I know it's real because I've been given the gift of sight and I see it. And people that live by faith are living in regards to something that is unseeable. You cannot measure it. You cannot touch it. You cannot feel it. And the just walk by faith. But what is that faith? It's the evidence of what you don't see. It is the substance of what you hope for. So it's the spiritual ability to see what you can't see. And hear what you can't hear. And know that it's so. It's supernatural. It gets into you and it will not leave you alone. It gets into you and it messes your whole life up. In the sense of maybe making it right. It turns your world upside down. It causes you to live a life that people think is absolutely crazy and insane. Because you're living in an unseen world. And you're following a God who for all pretense and purposes in this world is invisible. And you've never seen him either. Not yet. But you will praise God. So faith gets into the heart and it gets into the life. Now I want to share something with you right now in regards to prayer and faith. That I believe is very important. I want you to listen to this. It is not uncommon today to engage with people that really believe we're living in the last days. And Jesus is coming back soon. To have a very strong desire in their heart to do something for God. I want my life to count. I want to do things that I know are done in the will and in the spirit of God and in the power of God that are going to bring a legacy, an everlasting testimony of God's grace in my life. And beloved, I will tell you this. No church can appoint you to that job. There is no human that can come into your life and say, this is what you need to do for God. But if you want to be that man or that woman that really makes an impact for the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit... Then you need to be a person of prayer. And a person of faith. You need to pray. You don't need a church praying for you. What are you supposed to do in the kingdom of God? You need to pray. And you need the Holy Ghost to tell you. What he has for you to do. And what your assignment is. And when the Holy Spirit gives you that. There is no power on earth that can stop you from doing it. You have now been empowered supernaturally by God. To do a divine agenda that God has given you to do. I really believe that the Holy Spirit showed me this, that Abraham was a man of faith. And the result of that faith was Abraham was a man of prayer. He communed with God. He talked to God. Before they ever had a Bible, they had prayer. Right? Abraham didn't have this. He didn't have the Psalms. Job didn't have any of this. He didn't have the Psalms. He didn't have Paul's remarkable testimony in Romans chapter 8. How God is able to work everything together for good. How did these men survive that? Do they have access to something in God that you and I don't? No, they have access to God. They didn't have a Bible, but they had prayer. And they took that avenue of prayer to really walk with God. Enoch walked with God and he pleased God. He had that testimony in the Lord and he pleased the Lord. What good is anything that we have if it is not the result of prayer and relationship with God? Before Cornelius ever had a salvation experience and a born again experience in his life, he was a man of prayer. He's a lost man praying. He's a lost man who knows in his being, he knows inside of himself that there is a God, but I don't know who he is. 
And something inside of me tells me that this God can be known and this God is benevolent and this God is good. Therefore, I want to give and I want to give alms and I want to say prayers all the time. And he was devout and he was holy, but he's lost and he's going to hell. But he prayed and he sought this God that he believed was there. He had no Bible. He had no church. He had nothing like that. But God came to him and God told him, go get Peter and Peter will tell you who I am. If you call to me, I will answer you and I will show you things that you don't know. What an invitation to be able to pray. I would no more separate prayer than I would separate breath from life. The two things are dependent upon one another. But faith has an origin. Faith comes by hearing. And it is the praying man who is the hearing man. And if you want more faith, pray. Because this God will speak to you. And when God speaks to you, your faith will increase. And it will grow. Back in Psalms 27, which is one of my favorite psalms and places that I just strive to have reality in. I just think about David. Here's this great man and what is the essence of his life? You said to seek my face. And my heart said to you, your face, O God, I will seek. Deep calls out to deep at the noise of your water spouts. This was David's desire and this was his passion. And so if I can, I would like to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I I would just like to try to bring this to a little conclusion this morning about prayer and the need to hear God right now so that we have true faith in the earth. A faith that is supernatural, a faith that confounds the enemy, that destroys hell, that delivers people from fear and disease and panic and destruction. In 2 Kings chapter 4, if you will just follow with me, this is the story of the Shunammite. And you know that she had this encounter with Elisha. And I just want you to read bits and pieces of this with me. And I want to begin in verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem. There was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. She used force, not just words. Now, it wasn't like she was just beating him up. But she was just very adamant, you know. I want you to stay here. And she was not accepting no as an answer. Praise God for those men and women that can go before God and say, Lord, I'm not taking no as an answer. Thank God for the Abrahams who can intercede for Sodom from a hundred. Lord, if there's ten people, come on, God, for ten, wouldn't you save the city? That can just have that kind of intercession. Thank God for the Moseses that can stand before God when God's wrath is stirred and says, I'm going to go and I'm going to destroy this nation. And thank God for somebody that can just stand before God. And God had to say to Moses, leave me alone, Moses, so I can go do this. And Moses says, no, I won't. And Moses had power with God. Where did Moses get that power? He got it from the Holy Spirit. From the Spirit of God. And so this great woman is constraining Elisha to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. Let me give you a brief understanding of something. In that day... A holy man of God was the man who was in communion with God. They were rare. And today in the new covenant, the spirit of God is poured out upon all flesh. 
and we all prophesy and we see visions and we dream dreams. But in that day, there was a particular person or just a few people that God would come upon and anoint. And these were the men of God that if you need God, go talk to them. If you need God, go see Samuel, you know. And so that's the way it was. And this, this, is, this is what she's meaning here. This is my access point to God. That's what she said. This is the man who walks. With, this is God's anointed who is in the earth. And so she says that to her husband. And notice what she does. Let's make a little chamber. I pray you on the wall. Let's make him a house. Let's make him a room. And let's set for him there a bed, table, stool, candlestick. And it shall be that when he comes to us, he shall turn in thither. Let's, I don't want him to just eat something with us. I don't want to just give him bread. Let's give him a place to stay. This man represents God. This man is the servant of the Lord. And I want to take care of him because I want to take care of God. And this is what she begins to do. She created an atmosphere of God's presence. She created an atmosphere so that whenever this man of God would pass through, he was drawn there. He knew he was welcome there. We need to do that in our lives and in our homes and in our families. We need to create an atmosphere for God to come to us in our churches and all this. Not because we sing the right songs. It's the attitude of the heart. And then it goes down and it says in verse 13, and he said to him, this is Elisha speaking to his servant, say to her, behold, you have notice these words. You have been caring for us himself and his servant with all this care. So what is to be done for you? Would you be spoken far to the king or to the captain of the host? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And so he said, well, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered and says she doesn't have a child and her husband's old. And so you know the story. He comes and he prophesies and says that she will have a child. She does have the child and the child gets sick. And in verse 20, and when he had taken him, he brought him to his mother, this is her sixth son, and he sat on her knees till noon and then he died. I believe he had an aneurysm and he died. She laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called to her husband and said, send me, I pray you, one of the young men, one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. And so he said, will you go get him today? It's not a new moon or it's not a special day. It's not a holy day. And she said, just do this for me, please. In verse 25, so she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off. He said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, yonder is the Shunammite. I just want you to notice out of that verse from a long distance, Elisha saw her and knew who she was. She was a familiar friend to him. She was not a stranger. She was familiar. And he says, because she's familiar and she's a friend, he says in verse 26, run now, I pray you, to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband, your son? She answered, it's well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. And Gehazi came near to thrust her away because this is a holy man. You don't touch them. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's my friend. Don't keep her from me. Let her hold on to me. For her soul is vexed within her. But the Lord has not revealed this to me. He's hid it from me and he hasn't told me. And so she said, did I desire son of the Lord? Did I say, do not deceive me? Did I not say that? 
You came and asked me, Elisha, what I wanted. I didn't say anything to you about it. I just wanted you to come here. I wanted to feed you and I wanted to give you a place to rest. Because you're a man of God and I value God. And that's all I wanted. You asked me what I wanted. You told me you were going to give me a son. And I said, don't deceive me. And this is her attitude. I mean, you could just speak so honestly. Because you're so familiar, right? You watch people the way they pray today. You know, it's not, they're not praying the honesty of their hearts. They're praying words they think God wants to hear. But here's familiarity and intimacy. And so then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute you, answer him not again. Lay my staff on the face of the child. The mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not leaving you. And he rose and he followed her and he comes home. And he goes into his house, his chamber, she built for him. And there laying on his bed was this boy, he promised her, dead. And Elisha lays himself upon this son. And you know the story, the boy is healed. And he gets up from the dead. And this is answered. Can I just give you a couple of things in this in closing? I'm talking about a prayer life. I'm not talking about saying prayers. I'm not talking about that you get up at five in the morning and you bring your prayer list into your prayer closet and you go through your prayer list and you pray these things. That's great. That's petitionary prayer and that's great. And I'm not even saying that you you go to prayer meetings with people and people are praying in their prayer. I am talking about a life of intimacy with God. I'm talking about a life that is so raw with God, so open with God, so familiar with God, that never in the context of, of, of uh, disdaining God, never in the context of, 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 of some kind of impugning his character, never in that, but in relationship with God and his dearest friends, and he wants us all to be, there is such a rawness that people have in the presence of God because they're so familiar with him. Their prayer life is so different than the typical prayer life of multitudes of people who call themselves believers and claim to pray. But these are the people that have pressed in. They have created an atmosphere that God is acquainted with. And oftentimes he's drawn to that atmosphere because they have reached out to God. As best as the Shunammite did to the closest thing she could get to God in her day. And now we provide this atmosphere of God in our homes and in our churches that all we want is God and we want the presence of God and we want the power of God. So what can I do? I'm going to feed him. I'm going to give him bread. I'm going to ask him to turn in. I'm going to give God a place of rest. I'm going to make this place so attractive that every moment God is just drawn. He won't pass me by. He won't go through the city and leave me off to the side because I'm unfamiliar with him. And that was the woman with this man. And then when I come to God from a distance and I begin to get into trouble, I'm God's friend. I'm in love with God and God is in love with me. And I know that we can all say that. I know that we can all say we're his friends. And I know that we can all say that we're saved. And I know that we can all say that we're born again. And we love God and God loves us. But there was something to it in the New Testament when John would have to write often the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it wasn't that Jesus loved John more than anybody else. But I will tell you this. There was something significant in the relationship that John had with Jesus Christ that no other apostle did have. 
And you can say what you want to say about all of the other apostles, but no one of them ever pressed in so close to Jesus like John did. John was never content to be in his presence. He had to be on top of him. And even at the Last Supper, others were content to sit at a table. John had to lay on his chest. John had to get as close to Jesus as he could. And in that three-year span, when Peter would go back and check on his wife and check on his home and check on his boats, and Matthew would go and check on his belongings, and they might be gone for weeks at a time before they would gather back and do another outage with Jesus, there was John, I'm not leaving your side, I'm going with you. And in the night when he was arrested, when everybody left, John was standing there at the crucifixion holding Mary in his arms because he loves Jesus. And so it's no wonder when the Bible says the disciple whom Jesus loved. There are some people who just press in to the reality of a living God more than others do. But everybody's invited. But some people just press in there. And they're close to God and they're familiar with God and they're raw with God. And they are a delight to God and the atmosphere of their life attracts God in their life all the time. And then when trouble hits and the devil comes and the hordes of hell begin to come against your life. And the moment you begin to turn to that throne of grace to go into the chambers of God's presence that God sees you from a distance. That's my friend coming to me. That's my friend. And we go into the presence of God and we say, Lord, I don't want preachers and I don't want teachers and I don't want evangelists and I don't want prophets and I don't want angels. I want you. I want you. You go with me. And as my soul lives, I will not leave here without you. And to be able to make that claim upon God is because of familiarity. No other woman that day would have thrown herself at Elisha's feet and remained there. But this one could. Because he knew her. Because she made sure he knew her. She was good to him. And beloved, when you serve God with this type of an affection. I promise you. When you serve God with this type of an affection. I promise you that as Elisha was considering it. God is considering it. What do you need? All of this care that you've shown me, all of this care you've shown my church, all of this care you've shown to missions, all of this care you've shown in benevolence to my people and to the world that you're living in right now. I have seen it. So what do you need? Because you've shown me all this care. Boy, what a relationship. What a relationship. And we're all invited to it. But very few believers... Will live this life. But every one of them can. I challenge you to it. Because there's no greater person you will ever be with than God. And there's no refuge like the Lord. And there's no high tower like him. And there's no name like his. Father in the name of Jesus. I ask your richest blessings upon us. I thank you for the invitation to pray. I thank you God that in perplexing times. And in confusing moments. When men have lost hope. And they see no way out which is the world that we're living in now, that your church would hear clearly, that it would walk with you and it would pray and it would hear you, God. We wouldn't need the consultation of man and men that don't know you. But Lord, we would hear you and we would hear your voice and we would hear your word. We would walk with you in this intimacy. And thank you for it, God. Thank you for 
given us the opportunity to be raw and intimate with you, God. To have this place established with you. In the precious name of Jesus, would you just, as we sing this song in closing, would you just set your heart right now, consider your prayer life. Now listen, this is what I'm going to ask you. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to teach you by His grace to move into a place of intimacy with God where your life is of such an atmosphere that it attracts the Lord and you become so familiar with Him in a way you've never been. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you.